good day. My name is uh, Dr. Jason Coe. I'm the Mark R. Neiman Family Chair of Orthopedic Surgery at North Shore University Health System and a clinical professor of orthopedic surgery at the University of Chicago and an adjunct professor of biomedical engineering at Northwestern University. Uh, today, we're here to uh, speak with uh, Professor Savio Wu as part of the Giants of Isikos uh, interview series. Uh, professor Wu is an internationally famous uh, professor of biomedical engineering and uh, multiple appointments in multiple other uh, uh, universities and departments. Uh, his academic home for the last several decades has been as a professor at the University of Pittsburgh. Um, professor Wu has been an inspiration, a role model, a teacher, a professor, a researcher that has inspired so many of us. Uh, I know I personally have uh, followed his work over the years and have benefited immensely from uh, the kind of uh, work and research that he's done and also uh, looked at him as a pioneer and as a role model uh, for myself in my academic career, uh, as he has done for so many others. Um, it is such a great pleasure and honor for us to be with you today. And uh, welcome to the Giants of Isikosa series. Well, thank you, Jason. I, I am, first of all, very appreciative of you taking the time uh, to talk with me and also for to Isikos for uh, giving, naming me as a giant. I never feel this way, but uh, it is always nice, nevertheless. So we have a few questions that uh, are, uh, that we've developed over uh, this period of time to ask you about uh, your life and your career, and then also uh, looking forward, because I think, uh, obviously, I know that you're somebody who um, always builds upon what they've accomplished and then continues to look forward into the future. Um, but uh, I've had a chance to read a little bit about you over the years, but I think it would be wonderful for you to share some of your uh, life and experiences with uh, the audience uh, for this series. Um, so maybe we can start with uh, the beginning, um, uh, where you came from, where you were born, what your parents did, and and how did that impact uh, your life and your career? Because I know your family has been incredibly important to you throughout this whole time. Yes, uh, that's a great start. Uh, I, I was born in Shanghai, China, uh, on the, in right post, uh, post-war, Second World War. <clears throat> and my parents, uh, uh, they originally it came from a very small village uh, in a Zhejiang province, south of Shanghai. They uh, grew up uh, being very, very poor in the countryside. They never attended school and they couldn't even write their names. And then uh, finally, um, they moved to Shanghai to improve their livelihood and and my father and mother became uh, rather successful through hard work. So because of their lack of education, going to school and getting good grades was really paramount importance to them. But I know that there was also a, a big transition in your life um, as you went from uh, Shanghai to Hong Kong and other parts of this uh, 
educational and academic journey? The revolution was 1949, and my father, fortunately, was in Hong Kong at that time. So he summoned us, the whole family, uh, to Hong Kong. And we moved to Hong Kong in 1950. And uh, that I was third grade or something at that time. It was actually very difficult because uh, we didn't know how to speak Cantonese. Uh, which is a language in, in Hong Kong. So actually I went to school, but not understanding what everybody else is saying. And then also uh, uh, people in Hong Kong were very skeptical about people from Shanghai, you know, that kind of situation. Uh, so actually I was held back for a year in, in school, but at that time, I wasn't a very good student. You know, I, I, I was okay, middle of the pack, uh, never really, I was more interested in playing basketball, soccer, and those kind of things than uh, my study. It was not until about ninth grade that I suddenly decided to be a good student. Um, and, then, and then the rest is history. Uh, you say it very casually, um, but I know that there was a tremendous amount of hard work and, and study. Um, you know, how did you uh, come to decide? I mean, I know that you had this idea that you wanted to be involved with teaching, um, but how did you decide to get involved with biomedical engineering and engineering and, and become, uh, you know, a great research scientist as well? Between ninth and 12th grade, uh, I was a good student. Uh, and I also recognized my teaching tendency. There was a friend of mine, he played, he's a very good soccer player, therefore I always played with him. And uh, I wasn't that good. <laughs> so um, he was kind of failing in school. So I, since being a good friend, I, I asked him to come over to my home. And, in a loft somewhere, we, I create a space for him to sleep. And I said, okay, the agreement is that you play soccer with me, but I will teach you. So I wake him up every morning, 5.30, and we will study together. And eventually he was successful and passed. So I feel like I was destined I, my destiny seemed to be more, more um, solidified a little bit. So when I came to United States, I, uh, I, was, uh, I picked the cheapest college I can go to, uh, which was uh, California State University system now, but they call it state colleges then. And uh, you can go to take a full low class as a foreign student for $127.50 each semester. So I, I said, okay, since I have younger sibling following me and uh, I choose the cheapest school. And it was good for me because it's a small university. You get to know everybody, including the president and the dean of students and all that. So I start out by grading papers and exams for math, physics, and chemistry. Uh, 
at one dollar an hour. And then I also sweep the aisles of the National Dollar Store two hours a day uh, to, to sustain uh, myself. And in the summer, I wash dishes in the uh, cafe in San Francisco, uh, which is 200 miles from Chico. Uh, that's where I spend the summer. And I want to make sure that I don't ask my parents for more money because I want my brothers, younger brothers, to have a chance to, to come, to, to come go abroad. And they did. And they were very successful people also. I went to University of Washington for my master's and PhD studies uh, and become very, very much involved in research. That's how come I um, get my graduate degrees. And then University of Washington at that time was just a leading institution for biomedical engineering. And, and you know, in the late 60s, it's the, really the dawn of bioengineering. And I was very fortunate to be involved in a field just in this, at the very start. Uh, and I went to UW rather fortuitously because UW has a very good football team at that time. And, uh, and they beat Michigan at Rose Bowl. So that sealed the deal. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So clearly you've had this longstanding affiliation, affinity, affinity and affiliation with sports medicine. And uh, you, it sounds like even at an early age, you were teaching uh, young athletes about math and physics and science. Clearly you've had this amazing uh, life and career um, over the years. And, and I know you've gone uh, from uh, there to uh, San Diego to Pittsburgh. Um, Tell us a little bit about that journey as, as you've gone through. I have great mentorship in my life. And uh, to me, a mentorship is more like somebody casually give you some advice, but somebody really had an influence on you. You know, my, for my parents obviously has, uh, uh, you know, were really in my young life, and they, they in, in spite of being, uh, never went to school, they subscribe to the Confucianism values, you know, the selflessness, uh, compassion, honor, uh, gratitude. Those are Confucianism teaching. And they always taught me to be generous to other people, to live in modesty, treat everybody equally with respect, be it just the president or a janitor, the same. And my mother is the one to always push for perfection. You know, when I get 97, she said, what happened to the other three? That kind of approach. And then my, I also have a great mentor, have also great mentor in my father and mother-in-laws. My, they are people to teach altruism, altruism, be altruistic, and be kind and helpful. And of course, in academics, I have two 
wonderful academic mentor named Albert Kobayashi. Professor Kobayashi was my master and PhD thesis advisor. And Professor Y.C. Fong, of course, his father of modern biomechanics at UCSD. You know, they, they are really, with, they are such great examples. So it taught me how to become a pioneer, visionary, and how one becomes thrilled with new discoveries. And that they just, they, they, they also are caring and effective leaders. Every one of these people are full of humility. And I always feel humility is such an important component in life. And, uh, and I even said that, that the true confidence in a person is developed from having humility. You know, because in humility, you really learn and then you can have confidence. And my siblings, uh, we have nine children in the family. Uh, we are very loving, we are very loving, but we are also very competitive. I think that also helped me to move myself forward. You know, I'm never really afraid of any competition. I just want to work harder to get better. But I don't compete by stepping on somebody. I think that is also not real competition. So I, I just try to be better myself. Uh, I have my team. I want our team to do the same. That's really fantastic. I mean, obviously, you've had these amazing people who have really influenced you and in, uh, your life. And I know you've been a really uh, significant role model for uh, so many people, myself included. Um, you know, you've had all these different kinds of uh, opportunities and challenges. Um, what do you think the hardest thing that you've had to overcome in your career? When I was young, I find that, uh, that the respect is a problem. Uh, Now, and then later when I gain, have come, gained some reputation, then I often have to help the young people with that problem, which I personally experienced. That is, uh, scientists and engineers are often in clinical department treated as technical assistants. That is a difficult one to overcome, challenge, but you really got to work at it to, to, uh, to overcome that, you know, to convince others that you are really equal partners. You know? And that's one uh, really hardest thing to overcome. And I also find that it's very difficult to teach collaboration. And, uh, and a good collaboration is something, you know, really should be cherished. It's a hard thing to teach. It's easy to say, but very hard to teach and actually practice. Probably even today, this is probably the real uh, difficulty is to convince colleagues, students, that the research is a long game. It's a long game. 
and it takes a village to accomplish anything of value. And uh, most of people just think, uh, come in and say, oh, you know, you have all these great tools in your lab, give me some answers. Uh, I just want simple answer. Is it six weeks or 12 weeks, you know? And uh, uh, it's very hard to convince people. And those are hard challenges. And it is really uh, something that we need to be aware of. Uh, it's my career experience. So I, I hope that answers your question because this is a hard one. Well, I know that um, even you're saying, oh, I don't do this very well. You've been incredibly successful in building teams that work together very successfully over many, many years. Um, and uh, you've built amazing collaborations with so many orthopedic surgeons. Um, what, what prompted you to work with orthopedic surgeons? I mean, you could have um, done uh, research into so many different areas. Obviously you have tremendous talent. Uh, what brought you into this uh, relationship with uh, orthopedics? Well, I was uh, in my doctoral study, I was doing eye research. I collaborate with an ophthalmologist who uh, actually was a very great ophthalmologist, graduate from Wilmer Institute, well-known. And, and he decided that he wants to research uh, his life. He doesn't want to do clinical work. And uh, my professor, Elva Kobayashi, collaborates with him, so I work on that project. And actually, it's interesting, the work we published in 1972 was dormant for many years, and recently it's been cited all over the place. So that was kind of interesting. So um, I, I, when I about to graduate, I met a very young orthopedic resident. His name John Coletti, and I, he and I just talked, you know, engineering orthopedics. I mean, he could understand viscoelasticity. Okay, I mean, I'm talking about 1969. Okay, I was impressed with this young man. He's a few years older than me. And uh, she introduced me to uh, Dr. Wayne Akerson, uh, who is professor in orthopedic surgery. And uh, uh, Wayne was about to move to UC San Diego. And uh, he asked me whether I would, I, I helped them do some research, write some proposals, stuff like that, that time. And uh, Wayne recruited me to go down. Originally, John was gonna come after he finished his residency, he never did. Uh, so I moved to San Diego in orthopedic surgery um, because um, and gave up ophthalmology, even though I have some really nice postdoc opportunities. Because Professor Y. C. Fung is a UCSD, that just sealed the deal, right? You know, it, again, it's not a um, predestined thing that I wanted to be somebody. I, I just, I just find that. Uh, if you have a good skill, uh, a good, uh, have a good process of doing things such as biomedical engineering, there's a certain rules that you, you go, you do to be successful. You can do anything. You know? So I often advise the graduate students and others, 
don't, when you graduate, don't just say, oh, this is what I've been doing and I need to find a job in that. No, that was your process. Your process doing something you learned in your graduate study, and then you can apply to anything you want to do is pretty much the same. I mean, um, one of the things that I, I did want to ask, um, there are so many areas in which you've uh, pioneered and, and sort of set the standard. Um, what do you feel is your greatest uh, success uh, or the thing you're most proud of? Uh, I've done a lot of things starting my career. When I started my career, I think the most thing that I'm most proud of has to be the 600 45 students, residents, fellows from all over the world that have come to learn and work with me over five decades. And, uh, and now a large number of them uh, that I see, uh, I can, I, 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 I smile that they are now leaders in their respective professions. And uh, some of my leaders of Isakos today, for example. And um, maybe uh, I have some ability to bring people of different background, different culture, to work together harmoniously and productively for the, for the good. Um, in my, in my, in my uh, teaching, I probably uh, want that perfection. Um, that's from my mom that I talked to you earlier. And I uh, always encourage people, I will coerce people. And if I fail, I will demand people to be perfect and, and be truthful in data, particularly. That's the most important thing. Another word I often uh, think I'm very proud of is that I, I believe really practice makes perfect. And, uh, and if you know my fellows, my students, residents, you will know they fear my Monday morning meeting. That's where they are put to the test and the challenge. Uh, so they are always well prepared, but they practice. You know, when we have presentations, we practice. So everything is done um, uh, to help them to be successful. And uh, lastly, I would say that um, a little statistic that I'm very proud to. All the students that work with me, that they, if they want to go to medical school, they were able to matriculate 100%. So I think that's, that's something that I, I always feel good about. That's an amazing accomplishment and an amazing legacy of uh, students uh, throughout many, many years. So um, at this point in time, 
Uh, obviously, you, I'm sure you still have lots of interests. Um, what keeps you learning? What are you curious about now? You know, as you know, I'm retired now. And, uh, and, and everything uh, is no longer on the fifth gear. I'm maybe on the second gear now. Uh, but I continue to uh, read and continue to listen to other experts. Um, but I think with the advent of new biologics on the horizon, and I, I really want to hope, I really want to, and I want to try to learn and maybe impart some advice to other people, is how to incorporate bioengineering and biotechnology with the biologics in order to have successful biotherapies for orthopedic ailments. It's not just enough to have the biologics, but it's how do you incorporate bioengineering, biotechnology with it. Uh, for my last 10 years of my uh, career, I have been trying to heal the ACL, for example. So I use bioscaffolds and I, as a biological augmentation, and I use uh, degradable metallic materials, magnesium, for example, as a bio, biomechanical augmentation. And we were able to successfully heal a transected ACL uh, very well uh, in a GOAT model. So I hope some young people will take it over and continue this concept. And I think that's, that is something that I, I'm very curious about. Well, I know that you're always looking <clears throat> ahead and looking into the future. Um, one question I have for you is obviously you've been involved with Isikos for many, many years. And, um, uh, you know, as an organization, um, it's grown and developed. And as you said, you've been so influential on this uh, uh, just through what you've been doing yourself, but also through uh, uh, all of those who have studied underneath you. Um, what do you see for Isikos and the future of this organization as we continue to move forward in the 21st century? I think, um... That's a good question. I, you know, I really have been thinking about it. Isakos needs to think big, really think big. Um, you know, this world is changing fast, changing real fast. And uh, there's so much going on in Asia today. And, uh, this in our area, orthopedic sports medicine, Isakos is truly the real world organization, right? It is not just America, not just you, it's really the whole world. And it's a, being a, such a sole international entity, world entity, um, Isakos is, is natural for Isakos to 
assume the responsibility of become the leader. That's what I meant by saying big. And I hope the Isakos, the leaders, will, with, especially with you young people, to define and to set some priorities for orthopedic sports medicine. I, I think this is a real opportunity, you know. Um, I think Isakos must expand education efforts worldwide. You know, it's not just say America is teaching somebody else, but somebody needs to teach America, both ways. <clears throat> and then it's a great organization to have true international collaboration on prospective studies, because the world is gonna be uh, no longer just say, Here's how I do it. The world is going to judge an orthopedic sports medicine surgeon or whoever we have scientists, engineers, by the outcome of what you do. So um, we all want eventually personalized medicine, and that's coming, right? Because the big data and and Isako's can play a real big role on this. And I think that if for 21st century, it's really evidence-based and, and prospective, not just retrospective, prospective. So all these things are, are something that Isako should do because the perspective is international, not just, you know, what you do and, uh, and I think that, that it's a great opportunity for Isakos. And I'm sure the founders have this vision as well. Well, I think um, in many ways, you know, it's perfect that uh, you've, you're part of our giants in orthopedic sports medicine. Um, uh, your life, the story, the multiple uh, residents, fellows, students from all around the world that you've taught personally and influenced uh, internationally, I think are a perfect example of how you truly exemplify the international nature, uh, the high rigorous standards, the high quality uh, of this organization. Um, you know, you serve as a, a, a leader for all of us, uh, have done so for many, many years. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, thrilled to feel that, uh, you know, we're continuing to carry on that vision um, into the 21st century. I, I think that uh, your, your vision, I mean, even the work that you've been doing over the years is uh, a model for how international collaboration can work. Uh, and it's thrilling to uh, have you with us today. Um, you know, it's been wonderful to spend uh, a few minutes with you. Um, You've told us and taught us so much. Um, what other, any last words or thoughts that you have about um, advice for younger people or, or thoughts about um, uh, Isakos and uh, your career? I, I think young people, it would be good to think about 
uh, how do you balance your work life and your family life? That's a, that's a, always a hard one. I get a lot, I get asked a lot about that. And how do you balance patient care and research? And young people also should dream high and big. You know, you, you have to have some belief that you can be better and more accomplished than the generation before you. And if you don't do that, then we're just treading water or going downhill. So I've always asked the young people to do that. And that, that, that it's, it's kind of a philosophical and, uh, but I always feel philosophy is the guiding life of life. You know, uh, techniques and everything else change, but philosophy, you know, I'm still a believer of Confucianism, which is 2,600 years ago. But a lot of things that was written is still true. And I also want to finish by saying that, that uh, uh, to be a, a person, it is important to, um, to uh, you know, you to be respectful, to be respectful. I think these days, um, uh, we have begin to lose a lot of respect. And I hope that uh, all our young next generation will learn the meaning of respect, you know. Uh, and, uh, and also uh, try to be a kinder person, kinder person and more courteous person. It is really a life, the whole world changing respect to that. It's not all about me. It's all about everybody else. Uh, I, 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 have been, I have been thinking a lot about that lately. Is the why are people uh, not nice to each other, more respectful to each other, be kinder to each other. And, I, and that is something that it, it's, uh, uh, I like to, you know, see the world change it in the in the right direction. Well, I know that uh, that's uh, I think incredibly insightful and thoughtful. Um, you know, your philosophy and thoughts are based upon a, a lot of consideration, and also, uh, like you said, thousands of years of wisdom that have come down through the ages. Um, Again, uh, your life itself and uh, your work has been an inspiration and uh, your passion for education, for knowledge, for truth uh, continues to shine through and inspires many of us and all, uh, you know, and is part of what we do today. Um, I have to say, this has been a tremendous honor and a pleasure to have the opportunity to speak with you today as one of the giants in orthopedic sports medicine. Um, this has been a, a really unique opportunity for us to get a, a great one-on-one uh, -on -one chance to talk with one of uh, my personal heroes and uh, 
an inspiration to so many of us uh, across the world. Um, and uh, Professor Wu, I wanna thank you uh, for all of your contributions for you taking, and particularly for you taking the time with, uh, to talk with us today and to talk with Isikos uh, about uh, your life, uh, your thoughts, your philosophy, um, and uh, much appreciated. Well, thank you so much, Jason. Uh, it really a joy to do this uh, with you, and I and, and I thank Isakos for giving me the great honor uh, uh, to uh, share some of my thoughts uh, today. So, and I wish everybody well, and that we can get together real soon uh, with the COVID uh, uh, conquering the COVID at least uh, with all these beautiful vaccines that, uh, that's available to us today. So we hope to see everybody soon. Thank you particularly to you, Jason, for taking the time asking the questions. Appreciate it. It's been an honor. Thank you. Thank you.